guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, I can't help but hear this gospel today through the lens of my experience over this past week. I did some traveling, spent some time away to recuperate a little after Easter, and was able to also travel to the seminary in St. Louis, Kenrick Glennon, Glennon Seminary, where our seminary intern, Aaron Waldeck, is receiving his final, final evaluation. So I traveled out there to share some of the thoughts that I had, hear about the seminary's thoughts about him, and uh, I'm very pleased to be able to report that uh, Aaron has received an, uh, an excellent uh, affirmation of his continued priestly discernment to proceed forward in his preparation for priesthood. And, and not only that, but just really a chance for him to learn more uh, uh, and, and experience um, how gifted he is in, in the work that he is being called to do. We pray that he's being called to do as a priest. Uh, so a lot of affirmation for him. You know, we left out the the parts where he keeps burning the tortillas and making the house smell like, like burnt tortillas all the time. I didn't mention that. He was very gracious not to mention all of my foibles and bad habits. We left that part out, but uh, otherwise everything, everything was very comprehensive. And we, we, we had a great time getting to know the seminarians. I was able to spend a fair amount of time with the two men who will be assigned here next year. Right? We'll be receiving two seminarian interns, uh, Will Carey, who many of you already know, and Dan Morrow, they'll be spending their year here, so plenty of opportunities to continue to work with men in formation for the priesthood. But I also got to know men from other dioceses who were studying there at Kenrick. Uh, we smoked a few cigars up on the roof and had a lot of conversation to get to know. I, I, and I'll, I'll just say, again, very good things to report. Uh, the, the men who are up and coming in, in the process for formation of the priesthood are genuine, they're prayerful, they're disciplined, they're zealous, right? They're, um, they, they know how to have fun. I showed up, literally as I showed up to the seminary, they were running a, um, a relay race that involved running around the seminary, eating a small pizza, running around the seminary again, eating an ice cream sundae, running around the seminary again and see whoever could, could finish the quickest. So a, a great variety of uh, personalities, men with uh, very different backgrounds, but all centered on dedicating their lives to the service of Christ in his church. So uh, very encouraged by all of that. And really what, what I hear in the gospel reading today, I hear through the lens of that experience that what is the seminary but a place where we discern on both parts, the part of the man and the part of the church, whether or not there is a vocation. And ultimately it boils down to the same question that Jesus is asking Peter. Authority and leadership in the church is bound up, inseparably bound up, with love. A comprehensive love is the condition for comprehensive leadership. In the case of Peter, leadership over the whole church as the vicar of Christ, right? The visible head of the church as Christ is its invisible head. But so too, through all of the forms of hierarchy and authority in the church, that Authority is bound up inseparably with love. So, Jesus asked this question of Peter. Do you love me more than these? It's an ambiguous question. It's not clear what the these is. 
and what the more than refers to. It could mean several things. It could mean, Peter, do you love me more than you love your friends, these other men? Do you love me more than the other people in your life? Do you love me above everyone else? And Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. It could also mean, Peter, do you love me more than these? Referring to the fish that they just hauled in. <laughs> do you love me more than your way of life? Peter, just, just after the resurrection, after seeing Jesus risen from the dead, says to his fellow apostles, I'm going to go fishing. That is, I'm going to go back to my old way of life. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. And Jesus could be asking Peter, do you love me more than that? Do you love me than the, than the things that you were familiar with before I called you in a similar moment three years ago on the shores of this same lake in which you fell down at my feet and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man? Do you love me more than, than that life you left behind? It could also mean, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me with a stronger love than these other apostles or disciples do? Is your love more excellent than theirs? Is it deeper, more generous, more comprehensive? Do you excel in love? All three of those meanings, do you love me more than you love others? Do you love me more than these Practices that used to make up your life? Do you love me with a greater love than these others? All three of these meanings could be what Jesus means. And in fact, John's gospel leaves the, those meanings open to us, and, and perhaps deliberately so. Certainly, those questions apply to Peter, they apply to his successor for whom we pray at each Mass, Pope Francis, that he be excellent in love, that he stand out, that he be unique in the power and the exclusivity of his love that he shares with God. But so too, it applies, in a sense, to all the disciples because it is the role of the leadership of the church to repeat that question in Jesus' name to his flock. Do you... Brothers and sisters, love him more than these. And so that's a question that you can put to yourselves in the scriptures today. You can take this question to prayer. Do I love Jesus more than I love others in my life? Do I love Jesus more than the things that bring me comfort and familiarity? Do I love Jesus or seek to love him with a unique and profound love? conforming myself to God rather than to what I see as the expectations of society around me. This particular conversation between Jesus and Peter has significance for a couple of more reasons. The first I mentioned just as a, a beautiful connection to a, a modern pope, Pope Benedict XVI, when he was elected, he chose as his crest um, 
certain symbols. When you're, when you're made a bishop and eventually the bishop of Rome, you get a papal crest. And that crest has an image of a bear on it. The pope who was a bear, Pope Benedict invoked that image arising from, I forget which saint it was, but it was a tradition in Bavaria that one of the Bavarian saints, that part of Germany where um, Pope Benedict uh, grew up, had a tradition of a saint who was on an errand. His horse was, uh, I believe, killed or stolen by, uh, and, and maybe even the bear that was involved was then harnessed and commanded to bear this saint on his errand carrying a message to another churchman, something of that, of that nature. And Pope Benedict took that particular legend or that particular story from one of the saints of his area and applied it to himself. Referencing this particular passage. When you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will make those decisions for you which is what it means to be a leader, which is what it means to be the vicar of Christ, which is what it means to carry authority in the church. It's not, I get to rule, I get to call the shots, I have the power. The title of the, of the Pope, the successor of St. Peter, is the servant of the servants of God. The highest place of leadership is in fact, the lowest place of servitude. We can imagine that few people in the world have less control over their daily routines, their itineraries, than the Pope. The demands of the flock are what determine his itinerary, his schedule. And so too, when we answer those questions as they're put to us, Considering, do I love the Lord more than these? Jesus is inviting us into a way of life in which we no longer have control over ourselves. But we place ourselves in the attitude of a servant. Asking, where is it, Lord, that you wish me to go? How is it that you want me to lead my life today? Who, is, who, who are the ones do you need me to serve? And that becomes a way of life one ultimately in which great joy is to be found. The other reason this particular conversation is important is that having just been through the narrative of the passion, we know that this little three-part questionnaire that Jesus puts to Peter corresponds and references another threefold moment in Peter's recent past, namely his denial of Jesus. In fact, the word for the charcoal fire on which they're cooking their breakfast is an explicit reference, it's the same word in the Greek, to the fire beside which all those people standing outside Pilate's court are warming their hands when Jesus denies Peter three times. I do not, I swear to you, I don't know the men. And the cock crows three times. And of course, you can imagine this being on Peter's mind as they're having this meal, sharing the meal with Jesus, and, and very much aware, as Peter is, of his denial. He's wondering, is this going to come up? What am I going to say? And this conversation represents a beautiful reconciliation of Peter to Jesus. Naming it without coming out and saying, what were you thinking after all that I invested in you? I'll forgive you, sure, but man, next time, 
be better. No, there's a beautiful mercy here and an artful mercy in which Peter is able to reaffirm his faith in Jesus. The risen Jesus. We experience this same reconciliation, not face to face with the Lord on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, but in a sense face to face with his minister, his representative who acts and speaks in his name through the sacrament of confession, of penance, reconciliation. And having just celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday last week, one of the conversations that I had um, at the priest that I was visiting in a small country church up near the Nebraska border, he said to me, on Monday, yesterday was one of the greatest days of my priesthood. I heard confessions for almost six hours. There's a little parish of 150 families. Almost everyone went to confession. He said he heard almost 100 confessions. People were talking about how difficult it was to get in there. They would come several hours after Mass was over. He was still in the confessional. The line was long. I'll come back in an hour. They came back an hour later and the line was longer. <laughs> it was the best, one of the best days of my priesthood, he said. Now, we don't have that problem here at Christ the King. <laughs> Having to come back because the line for the confessional was too long. I wish we did have that problem. I wish we did have people literally banging down the door to come have that conversation with Jesus, that artful meeting between the risen Lord and a penitent sinner so that they might hear those words. Follow me. I experience that mercy, not as an idea, but as an event, a moment in time. Now, there may be many reasons why that's the case. But I think one of the reasons, and maybe one of the more important ones, is the fact that, um, I don't know about you, but when I'm in that confessional, I don't know if you're aware, that's our confessional right there. When I'm in that confessional, I don't want to be there. It's not a pleasant place to be. It's tiny. It's way too cold or way too hot. Um, it's almost impossible to get in there if you're maybe a little unsteady on your feet. It's full of hazards. You're going to fall over. Last night, we had someone in a wheelchair who wanted to go to confession, and it just wasn't an option. But if you remember, long enough ago, this confessional used to be twice the size. Do you ever wonder why there's that random little room there in the entryway and the second door? Why do we have two doors? Do <laughs> you ever wonder why that is? Well, because that door used to be the door to the penitent side of the confessional. It used to be double the size, right? And for whatever reason, I don't know what the decision was back in the day. That was changed into, I think, a baptistry. And now it's just a little... Nook for some pamphlets. Well, I'd like to put that back to use and to make a space where it's comfortable, it's not a hassle in order to be able to go to confession. And besides those very practical reasons, there's also, um, you know, a need for there to be um, some kind of transparency with the Dallas Charter, the accountability of priests. I shouldn't be in a room alone with someone, especially with young people. Right? That should be visible. Everyone should be able to know that there's nothing untoward happening in there. So we have some renovations to do on this space. And recently, I had a conversation with a family whose father was recently buried here. And they had received a number of memorial contributions in his name. And they said, Father, is there anything here in the church that you think we, we could make as a kind of permanent memorial to our dad? And I suggested to them, well... 
I mean, obviously the, the memorial contribution wouldn't be sufficient to cover these needs, but we do have a, a need for a, a proper renovation of our confessional, where we could perhaps have memorial contributions made in the name of parishioners, renovate this space, as simple as it could be, a contractor here in our parish could probably get it done in a week. And we could place a memorial to a, to a family member on a plaque where those coming and going or those waiting for this sacrament of reconciliation could remember and pray for those who have gone before us. So, if that is of interest to you or to someone you might know, please let us know. We've already received last night at the 4 p.m. Mass a number of uh, very interested parishioners who want to make memorials to their family members. If you're planning a funeral, if you, uh, or if you yourself want to specify in your own plans, I would like memorial contributions to be made for this particular need at Christ the King Church. We'll make sure that it goes to that project. But I, 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 as soon as we have the necessary funds, I would love to be able to, to make these, um, put these to use for the good of our parish. In the end, these things are truly essential. Just as love is bound up with authority, inseparably bound up with authority in the church, so too repentance is bound up with love. Just as Peter received this commandment from Jesus, this prophecy, follow me, upon being reconciled with him, so too we receive this grace and the strength and the energy to continue following Jesus in our everyday lives, in our vocations. We pray that no matter where we might find ourselves today, that this question Jesus puts to Peter find a place in our own minds and hearts, in our own prayer and reflection today, and that with Peter, we reaffirm our love for Jesus. Lord, you know that I love you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.